Religion loves Jesus the teacher, is even okay with Jesus the prophet. Religion is not okay with Jesus the breaker of bondage, the transformer of hearts, the savior of nations. Because the real Jesus is the anointed one. He doesn't just have good teachings. He is the, the breaker of bondage. He will transform you. But you got to go after knowing him more. He's worth it. He's worth, he's worth your time. He's worth your life. And there's, there's nothing, this, this city, this nation, the nations of the world are not going to be transformed by a satisfied people. They're going to be transformed by lovesick warriors. Because if he's for us, who can be against us? If the king of the universe and all of his goodness, all of his backing, if all of heaven is for you, is standing behind you, supporting you, how, how could anything succeed against you? How could you fail? We could, we could change the world. That's not just a fun phrase. If you'll give your life to this thing, to the real thing, if you'll find the real Jesus, the one who burns with eyes of fire, if you'll get a real hunger in your belly, there is nothing that can stop you. It costs much, but it's worth the cost. It costs everything. This is the Fire Podcast. Welcome to the Fire Podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Rhodes, and I'm here today with my good friend and one of our apostolic overseers at Fire Movement, Peter DeWitt. Thanks for being on. Oh, uh, so it's my pleasure. My pleasure. So looking forward to our time together. Yeah. It's already been lit. <laughs> We're like, we got to go live. It's so good. Yeah. yeah, it happens every time. We're over here talking and talking and talking like, okay, we should start recording this. Um, well, so today, Peter is is not on as a guest that I'm just having a, a an interview or conversation with um, on whatever topics. Today, we're doing an, one of our unfiltered episodes. Um, and so unfiltered are just these times to just share what's on our hearts, to discuss things, to, to be open, probably in a way you probably wouldn't necessarily be on a, a Sunday in a teaching or a preaching setting. Um, and this whole podcast was birthed out of... Um, like I was getting to have these green room conversations with different people. And I'm like, these conversations need to be heard, but they're things that once again, they're sharing a green room, but they wouldn't necessarily, or maybe over lunch, but they wouldn't necessarily share those from a, a microphone. And, uh, and so Peter and I have been having these, uh, conversations about discipleship. Now, uh, we're on three or four conversations, uh, or so in, and, uh, we're just kind of, I, I want to invite you as the listener into these conversations, I feel like uh, God is doing something significant for us uh, personally and in, in learning what we even believe about discipleship and, and what the future of that is, how people should be discipled, those sorts of things. Um, but also to build a framework for the future, um, because I, I do believe God is defining how he wants people discipled. I think, I think I've said this before on the podcast, but one of the reasons that we haven't had the great moves of, move of God we've wanted is because God doesn't want another move that's going to produce orphans. He wants another, he wants a move that's going to produce sons and not, mm -hmm. uh, you know, we've had a lot of moves of God where people have been brought into the church and, uh, and then just orphaned. They're still orphaned. They're never brought in. They're never, you know, they might be uh, discipled into the culture of the church, but they're not necessarily discipled mm -hmm. uh, into the culture of heaven. And so, mm. um, Peter, I, I want to say this about him as well. Like he's been one of those people that as we've discussed things and things that are on my heart and I feel like God's speaking to me, he's always put really strong language to them and helped me sharpen the language around things. Um, so that even, it becomes even clearer to myself, not only for communicating to others, but for me and makes it clear what God's speaking to me. Um, and you have an education background. Can you share a little bit of your background? Because I feel like we, we talk about it all the time, but that brings so much into what you're doing in the church is your background. Sure. Yeah. Thanks for that. Well, great, great being here. And yeah, it's always fun and appreciate what you said. I think God's given me a gift for clarity. That's one of the things I'm called to is to help bring clarity to things. And you know how those gifts are. It's like, sometimes they take a lot of work, you know, that's the processing I'm often doing about stuff is it's like, that's oh, not quite that yet, you know, and it's not quite clear to me, you know, that's what I'm fighting for often is, is the clarity from God about what he's speaking to me about. And um, yeah, my background in education is um, why well, I was going to be a doctor is what I was in school to be. And I got saved uh, and realized I was like, all I can picture myself doing in a, in a 
in a doctor's office is teaching people. So I thought I ought to go into teaching, loved it, went into teaching, loved it. And interestingly, it was at a school straight away that had a very large impact. The, the motto of the school was a small school with a big footprint. And so we had like 40 to 80 visiting groups come through a year. And as they came through to see this sort of innovative practices that we were doing, I found myself loving consulting. You know, I'd see people's faces light up when I could describe something, hopefully with clarity, that they had questions about. And uh, so I was kind of in the spot where I was researching new practices in the classroom and, and, and helping disseminate those to other organizations, teachers and principals and things. And, and that's grown over time. So now my work in education is as a consultant. So I'm a bivocational pastor in the sense that I have a calling, uh, bivocational, but you know, that means to have two callings. So I have one calling to the church sphere and I have another calling uh, to the marketplace as a consultant. Most of that works in education right now. And I have a specialty around STEM education, science, technology, engineering, and math, but really it deals with uh, getting kids uh, doing meaningful work is the STEM education part. I also have a specialty in what's called mastery education, which is about every student achieving at a high level. And if they don't get it yet, keeping working with them as opposed to sort of passing along a student who's sort of struggling. Um, it's the idea of like, if you get a C uh, in Algebra 1, that actually doesn't mean that you're going to do very well in Algebra 2 typically. You know, when you get a C in Algebra 1, you're probably going to do even worse in Algebra 2. Uh, because it's difficult to build on faulty foundations. Uh, and then the other thing I really work with is school culture. And what's the culture, you know, um, culture creates, as Bill Johnson says, that ecosystem. It's like a greenhouse mm -hmm. for the things that you want. And so much goes into school culture. And usually schools don't, uh, don't perform much better than their culture allows. And so, um, you know, that, that stuff's all a lot of fun for me. But what I've had the opportunity to learn, I went from being a teacher to an assistant principal to a consultant. And in this last season, I've been really moving more towards being able to help codify models. Um, in other words, like put words to uh, how, how does that system work? And that's where the, the clarity thing that I love, uh, research and clarity process is really fun for me. And I think that that's where I come to even some of this discipleship stuff is, is you know, I've, I've been personally in the season where I've been discipled, I, you know, and I continue to be discipled. I've been personally in the season where I lead a, a, you know, like a home group and am following up with a few people and, you know, providing some, some experiences for them to grow in their walk with God and to shepherd them through difficulty. You know, I've been in the, the place of being an associate pastor and, and doing that for, for lots of people and uh, being a lead pastor and, and do, and I'll make a pivot now more so doing that for leaders. I'll mm -hmm. always also do that for someone who's newer, but but more so doing the discipleship for leaders and some of the nuance of shepherding leaders' hearts. And um, so it's really, you know, a, a fascination. I, I don't think it's too strong of a word for me, this thing of discipleship. How do you do it? How do you do it well? Like all of education is a people growing business. And so when I come to discipleship, I know I come with that sort of event where this is about growing people in the Lord, positioning them for growth in the Lord. What are the factors that cause people to really grow? What are the factors that maybe inhibit that? What are nuances and, and little pieces of the puzzle that, you know, you can have nine pieces of the puzzle, right? But if you're missing this one, it, it mm -hmm. kind of tends to make the whole thing not not produce what it would otherwise. And um, yeah, that's the re really the burden on my heart is that is that people would know God deeply and that God would, would know them as well deeply. And that then there would be those reciprocal relationships in the body of Christ where where discipleship happens in community um, so that it's not just in the prayer closet, but it's also, you know, it's, 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 it's in the relationships in the body. Yeah. That's so good. And I, I think as, as you, the listener, as you hear some of his background, you can see the parallels in the church and how those things can apply building models and, and taking people with faulty foundations and actually focusing on what is the faulty foundation. Let's build them up there it is. so that we're not adding something else on that's going to crush them uh, and those sorts of things. Um, and, and Peter has been uh, integral in, uh, in this process as we're planting, you know, we've been planting this church out here in, in Seattle kind of just, you know, one of the things that God spoke to me was um, uh, Kings and priests. And so we'll kind of give mm -hmm. this, this foundation. And I brought this to Peter. I was like, Hey, this is the thing that God spoke to me as Kings and priests. And like, that's like, we want to raise up Kings and priests. And he brought up, which I'll, I'll let you share, um, adding in prophets, 
And uh, do you want to share that piece? And I can go kind of break down what those are. Sure. Yeah, it was it's fascinating. I've got some great, uh, I grew up Catholic and some of the, some of the guys that went to the all guys Catholic high school that I did now are significant leaders in the Catholic church, uh, particularly like the charismatic um, expression of the Catholic church. And they just do some wonderful work there and they've become precious brothers in Christ to me as I've gotten connected with them. And, and one of them I was talking to about Kings and priests and he said, oh, there's a Catholic doctrine for that. And that's one of the things that I've loved getting connected with them is that there's such a history. And when you have, you know, a couple thousand years worth of doctrine, there's a name for a lot of these things. And uh, he sent me the language, and but basically just highlighted that it was saying that every believer is a priest, a prophet, and a king. And it was like, oh, this is really good. And so I don't have much more to share on it than that, other than this, when we're talking about king's priests, we know it's in the New Testament multiple times, but this 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 idea of every believer functioning as a king, prophet, and priest is is not just something we're coming up with. There's there's hundreds of years worth of scholarship that's around mm-hmm. this in the body of Christ that, that every believer plays these roles. Yeah. Yeah, and I think it, it sent me on a little bit of a, a journey of, of, almost rediscovering the prophetic, uh, like anybody knows me knows I'm for the prophetic and prophets and, and all of that, but, um, not rediscovering the prophetic, analyzing how I view the prophetic and, and digging mm-hmm. in scripturally versus like, just, you know, just some basic things I've been taught. Um, and like actually digging in scripture, what does scripture say about this? And that sort of thing. And, um, if you want to learn more about this, uh, I did do our vision message. I think part two of our vision message, I, I talked about the King's priest prophets mandate for our church. And I get into these a little bit more in depth, but basically the idea is Kings is this, uh, territorial taking territorial dominion of wherever you, you live and not in a way that's competition. I know we know a lot of territorial when we say that it, it you know, makes us think of churches that are fighting each other, not territorial in that way, but every believer, and this isn't just churches. And I, I would like to get away from that and, and make sure that that's clear. Like when we're talking about this, we're talking about every believer being a king, priest, and prophet. Um, we're not yes. talking about churches just doing these things. Every believer, if every believer walked in these things, it would be extremely powerful. And that's the intention of God. Yeah. Um, and yeah. so king is this taking territorial dominion of wherever the king has placed you wherever Jesus has placed you, mm-hmm. whatever neighborhood, whatever job, whether you like where you're at or not, mm-hmm. he's placed you there with uh, delegated authority to rule and reign in that area. So what does that mean for our family? What this looked like? We've been, we've been living this out when God started to give us this revelation before we even were planting the church or in that process. Um, we just started seeing it as this is our area and anything that happens here happens to us. If there's crime that happens to our neighbor, it happened mm-hmm. to us. It, those mm-hmm. homeless people, those are our homeless people. So we're going to get to know them. We're going to love them. And uh, and I, I give stories and stuff like that in, in that message, but really taking ownership and bringing, focusing on how can the kingdom come here in our, yeah. in, our, in our city? What that looks like is we're looking at like, what are the top issues of our city? And are we having an impact? And if I had to stand before Jesus and he goes, hey, you've been here a year why has crime increased? Why has domestic violence increased? Why has homelessness increased? I placed you with the kingdom and with my Holy Spirit in mm, that area to make on. an impact. And I, I just really believe that if every believer grabbed a hold of that and this idea of just, you know, when we go to other places, we see ourselves as missionaries. But when we're when we're in the U.S., we just get comfortable. <laughs> but if we actually walked every day as, no, wherever I'm walking, where the soles of my feet tread, you're going to give me this land. Like, this is this is yours. This belongs yes. to the king. And uh, mm. walking with that intention, that 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 uh, protection of the area. And then uh, and then priests. Well, hey, while, you know, while you're what if I can, while yeah. you are on. um on the Kings, one of the, one of the sections of scripture that has become a favorite for me is actually Nehemiah chapter three. And in Nehemiah chapter three, I mean, we all know the story of Nehemiah. He goes back to Jerusalem to rebuild the walls. And so he's there to rebuild the walls. And there's a lot of hot, like action in Nehemiah. I mean, we got Sanballat and Tobiah and they, they're, they're building and they've got swords girded up and you know, uh, he's the king's cupbearer, and you know he the king could have probably had him killed for being downcast. And I mean, there's a lot of like action in the book. And then 
there's this one chapter that's like the bland chapter. It's chapter three. And, you know, it goes like this. Now, Eliashib, the high priest, rose up with his brethren, the priests, and built the sheep gate. They consecrated and hung its doors. They built as far as the Tower of the Hundred and consecrated and as far as the Tower of Haniel. Next to Eliashib, the men of Jericho built. And next to them, Zachar, the son of Imri, built. Also, the sons of Hassaniah built the fish gate and laid its beams and hung its doors with its bolts and bars. And next to them, Merimoth, the son of Urijah, the son of Kaz, made repairs. It goes on like this for the entire chapter. And I had loved Nehemiah for years for all of the leadership lessons that are in Nehemiah. Like I said, and you know, you got this, you've got these people that are against him, and there's there's slander and there's all sorts of things going on. The exciting stuff, you know. But then there's this this chapter that you, you can't pronounce the names, half of them, and it's just name after name and where they built, and then next to them this person built, and where they built next to them this person built. And it was a few years ago I realized this is one of the best prophetic pictures of the decentralized era of church uh, that's coming because what it is, is it's every believer building in their context, building up in their context. And so I just want to give this as a visual for the sort of thing that Ryan's describing, which is, is that the, the kingly mandate is, is building in context. You know, a while ago, I felt like the Lord gave me this definition for ministry and, you know, you could have probably a hundred different ones for ministry, Uh, But ministry was my connection to God in context. And so the connection to God is the priestly thing. And the Mm -hmm. context things has to do with the kingly thing. You know, what's the context? And so they all built right outside of where they lived. And in aggregate, as that happened, the entire wall was built lickety split uh, because each believer was taking ownership of the part to which they were called. But notice there wasn't an independence. There actually still was a function where if Nehemiah blew the trumpet, they all came back together to serve where where there was a particular need. So it was still a body function. And yet it was at the same time, this ownership, like Ryan's saying, you know, there's something there to taking ownership outside the walls into the context that God's given you. Yeah, that's so good. And, And just to define, you mentioned decentralized church. Do you want to define that? Yeah, I think that the there's um, I've gotten softer on this. I, my definition of, of decentralized church is every believer being a priest, prophet, and king in their context. It's nothing against the gathering of the saints. In fact, of course, we're not supposed to forsake the gathering of the saints. Mm-hmm. It's also nothing against traditional church structure. But it is this idea of, of positioning every believer not just fivefold ministers, not just pastors, not just lay ministers that are on the staff of a church or something like that, uh, but positioning every believer to be a producer in the kingdom of God, to have their own connection with God that's so significant in their life that everywhere that they go becomes impacted by the kingdom in some way, their families, mm-hmm. their community, their workplace, whatever. And I know it sounds maybe to some people like it's simple, but it's like, that's not simple. Like that, that requires a deep work in each of our hearts as believers. It requires a deep work in every leader in the body of Christ's heart to position believers for that to be the goal. Um, but I believe that that's where the greatest impact is going to happen for the kingdom in this next era is through the distributed believers who already have a context for Jesus to, to come into, um, you know, as, as they are discipled themselves. Yeah. And you, you coined the phrase, I hope you're okay with me sharing this on here, uh, um, um, a church full of ministers, not ministries, as, am I saying yeah. that correctly? Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and I think I think that that's it. You know, it's it, it sounds simple to just be like, yeah, everyone do, do what you're called to do. But we've we've a lot of our structures are created in such a way that the church, the organization of the church tries to do everything. And we just uh, we just get people to be involved with what the church is, you know, covering everything. And so, so like in an apostolic sense, um, the idea would be, well, if our church is going to impact the city, our church is going to have to have a ministry for every need of the city. Well, mm-hmm. that's not really there's only so far you can grow or you're going to have to be a 30,000 person church in one city to do that. And you're yeah. going to have to be in competition with the other churches because you need people. You, you're going to try, mm-hmm. try to get some people to actually believe this and to do all the things or you can train up every person that God gives you. They're going to get, you know, like we're out here in Seattle. There's going to be people that 
are are you know in the core of Facebook, and they're going to have be able to have an impact in tech that we're not yeah. as a, a you know if we start a church tech ministry, not not against because Bethel Bethel is has, is doing that, but they're doing it the right way. They're raising up people that are being sent into those areas, and so you know we can't just address every need as a church. And I don't think that that's the future. I think what you're talking about every, every minister, maybe we're getting a little bit ahead of ourselves. Um, no, I, I think, I think there's something to, to, to what you're saying. And, um, the, the kingdom is as leaven. And if, if the church needs to own all of the structures of society, then the kingdom doesn't function as leaven. What this, what this is saying is that all of the structures of society are already out there. They just need leavened. And that mm. comes through the heart of men and women of God uh, who function um, in a, a, you know, king's prophet's priest way where God's called them. Yeah, that's so good. Um, and so that, yeah, so it's kings. Uh, and, and basically we're defining these because every disciple, you know, we've kind of brought, Personally, I think we've come to the place that that's the language that biblically we see kings, priests, prophets, every believer, if we're all operating in those things, we fulfill the call of God. Um, and so as far as discipleship, we want to see everyone become these these three things. Yeah, that would be the goal, yeah, yeah. Um, in, in becoming a disciple of Jesus. So that so kings, priests is, uh, you know, it's really it's cool because Second Peter says Second uh, Peter, what is it? Two, nine, two, mm-hmm. two, nine, uh, that we're a royal priesthood. And so it's got the priesthood, yeah. but it's also got the royalty, the kingly thing. It's, a, it's yes. kind of that combination. Um, but if you look at priests in the Old Testament, so priests one time, one time a year, one person could go into the presence of God. If they had sin, they died. That's good. And then the New Testament, anyone can go in at any time of year. And if they have sin in the presence of God, sin dies. And yeah. it's this beautiful thing where we've been we've been given instead of priestly mm-hmm. robes, we have robes of righteousness. Uh, you know, it's 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 beautiful. They they would minister, priests would minister unto, unto the Lord. So they're there to minister to him. Uh, but they would also minister to the people. They would help administrate healing, mm-hmm. they'd help validate healing, um, and things Come like on. that. It'd help help people uh with uh wholeness, freedom from sin, like all those sorts of things. That is the call of every believer. We are here to administer mm-hmm. the healing uh, and atonement of the blood of Jesus. We're here to minister to him, to, to make sure his heart is, is ministered to, that he's taken care of, he's loved. Um, and that's a call of every believer. That isn't a corporate worship, what we call a worship service. That is the call of a believer as a priest. Um, Come on. And then prophets. So this is the one that I've been digging into, and I think there's so much more to get into. And people, you know, I think, I, I want to make the clarification. This is not talking about the Ephesians, you know, fivefold office five-fold of prophet. Office of prophet. Yeah, and those all those offices exist for the equipping of the saints to do what they are. And so the idea is that a prophet, you know, uh, in the Old Testament says he does nothing without first sharing with his friends the prophets. Um, and it's this idea of both friendship with God. So we're not just ministering to him and worshiping him as God. Mm, come on. We're doing that, but we're also friends with him that he can share his heart. He can share his secrets. And this is the element of the prophetic that I think is very important that most people don't understand. It's, it's then also partnering. This is almost like the intercession piece. It's partnering mm. with, this is what he's, this is what he's saying. And in God, this is a somewhat controversial statement in some circles, but God, there's just about nothing he does sovereignly. He, at somewhere, if he's if he's doing something, he co-labors. He's he sovereignly limited himself to co-laboring with us and wants to walk with us, and so he shares it with us so that we can then speak it, whether it's in prayer mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. Uh, or publicly. Um, but he's sharing things with us that aren't going to happen until somebody begins to speak them, um, and, and sometimes mm-hmm. that's a, a accompanied with prophetic acts. And you know, like wh- one example of this, we were in Central America. And there was this town that had constantly been in poverty, constantly been just, just not in a good place. And, uh, and this is a little out there, but we, uh, we had a prophetic word to give the earth communion and, and to command the, Mm. the, the earth curse off of that area. This is a prophetic act. Prophetic act is something you do in the natural that releases supernatural power. Mm -hmm. And so we went up on the mountainside overlooking this area and we dug a hole and we poured we put bread in there and we put poured wine and we just said we we just uh 
we we gave the earth communion. We're like, Jesus paid for this. His blood covers this land. His body was mm-hmm. broken for this town. And, you know, when you have repetition in an area, going back year after year after year, you get to see change. And we watched this town go from being a really impoverished town to all of a sudden having uh, life brought back to it. Entrepreneurship. There was, mm. uh, wow. What I refer to as third world entrepreneurship it was just like things that they were coming up with that were super unique and and the 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 economy was growing in that area and it was like out of nowhere, uh, but we knew it happened, you know. And so there's there's significant things like that that God's looking for uh, individuals, not just like prophets, like office of prophets, but he's looking for individuals to partner with him. He's he's speaking there you things. Go. That's it. That's and, it. And, and so it, it can look like in your day to day life, God might speak to you about somebody in your life. And that doesn't always necessarily mean you go and give them that perfect word. Maybe it does. Mm-hmm. But he's he's speaking to you about somebody because he wants you to pray. He wants you to release mm-hmm. things over, yes. Yes. over their lives and over your area and your cities and your job and uh, and the workplace, all those sorts of things. Yes. Oh, that's good, Ryan. That's good. So that's kind of our, our foundation. And, and so we had had this, uh, this framing guiding question that, that Peter suggested, which I think is really good, which is what are the experiences that help believers step into their, into each of those roles, into a kingly role, priestly mm-hmm. role, uh, prophetic role. But then as the questions came in, uh, it became clear that we were already kind of operating out of some assumptions about discipleship. Um, and we were operating out of this assumption of, of like creating experiences for people so that they could be discipled. Well, the questions that came in made it clear. Some people view uh, discipleship different ways. Some it's, it's, they see it as a one-on-one mentorship and, you know, others are like, well, how do I even find somebody to disciple me? Like, I want to be discipled. How do I find that? Yeah. Others view it as, well, I'm deci- I'm a disciple of Jesus. So I don't need, you know, do I need a person? to, to yeah. be doing that? Or is it one person? Is it multiple people? It, you know, it, or, you know, if I'm discipling somebody, what do I do if I have a short, shorter amount of time or a long amount of time, you know, does yeah. that, does that change how you approach it? Is there a method, you know, all those sorts of things. Um, and so I think we should, uh, we don't have to give a hard definition on what it means to disciple, but maybe we should address some of, some of those assumptions and, and speak yeah. to that. Yeah. Do you have any, any thoughts yeah. on that? Yeah, it's interesting. One of the things I picked up in my educational consulting, someone really helped me with this. And um, they were talking about um, in the education space, and then I'll relate it back to the Word of God, that there's three dials that you can kind of like when you want to make um, when you want to wake, make an educational model go, they talked about three dials that you could turn from zero to 10 in order to make that model go. And um, the three dials were one-on-one coaching. Um, another dial was like group learning experiences. So in the education space, like a PD session or a staff meeting or, you know. Mm-hmm. And then the last one they talked about was like asynchronous resources is how I would describe it. So in other words, like evergreen resources that don't require a face-to-face or even a group meeting. Um, because, you know, it's a book or it's a video recording of a previous training or something Mm -hmm. like that. And it's interesting because what they were saying is like, you don't need all of those dials at 10, but none of them can be at zero. And depending on what you're trying to accomplish and who you're trying to develop and all of that, you know, you might do more or less of one of those. Um, You know, the the combo might be eight, four, seven for one situation. And the other combo might be seven, five, five for another situation, you know? but in the in the you know in the body of Christ, it's obvious that there is um, discipleship that occurs. There's people that meet with one another that encourage one another. There's Paul with Timothy, a true son in the faith. Um, so there's that. Then there's also gathering. The Bible says, "Don't forsake the assembling of the saints." You know, there's mm-hmm. there's something about gathering. Uh, Paul told Timothy, "When you guys come together." Uh, this is this is what I expect to see happening, you know, and for right now, until I come back, uh, just devote yourself to the public reading of the scriptures, you know, and, uh, and so there's there's the there's the group environment, whether that's a large group or smaller group, but but there's an assembling of the saints. And then finally, there is there are asynchronous resources. The the biggest of one is is this one right here. You know, <laughs> yeah. God, God, Jesus even relied upon that you know it it is written 
you know, when, when he was being tempted, it, it is written. And, you know, we know that, that, that through the encouragement of the scriptures, the Bible talks about, you know, and, and then in addition, now we're such a privileged generation in, in the body of Christ. And I say that in the most positive ways, like now, not only can, can I read the Bible, but I can also read something like this from Bill Johnson about hosting the presence. And it's mm-hmm. like, my goodness. And, and we're coming in into an era now, even that you can probably read a book that's anointed about um, being a kingdom business person, you know, and it's like, what? Like, like, yeah. this is amazing. Like, not only do I get to have resources that, that, that help me in my general walk with God, but there's even people that have, that have helped blaze a trail into some of these marketplaces and what does it look like to be a king in that marketplace? Not just to be a priest in, in general terms, but to be a king in, in, in that marketplace. So I think that as we, as we think about discipleship, I think that what I would propose is that it's important to have a holistic perspective of the elements that go into it. I think it's easy, like you say, to presume that discipleship equals me meeting with a brother in Christ who's younger than me at Panera in the morning before we both go to work, right? Yeah. And that is one of the elements of discipleship that's really strong. But that those same two people uh, might go to a church together and the sermon on Sunday and also the experience of encountering God's presence in worship helps disciple. And then in addition to that, if I can find out that they're, they're actually struggling with one of the three elements of their soul, which is the will, and then I can give them a copy of, of my book or someone else's book on the will, then now there's this asynchronous resource that can take them a lot of miles um, that maybe they wouldn't have been able to get to very easily just by meeting one-on-one and maybe wasn't going to be the sermon topic uh, anytime soon at the, at the church gathering or the conversation topic at their home group or something. And so all these pieces sort of fit together. And I think we want to have a holistic view of the pieces and parts that make the discipleship, um, you know, discipleship move forward. Yeah. Yeah. So it's not one, it's not a, is it one-on-one or is it community or is it just by Jesus alone? It's the answer is yes. It's all of them. It's it's a (laughs) combination and, and I, uh, and that can change like the amount of each in your life, depending different on season seasons. and what's, what's needed. And every disciple is disciple is different. Um, one thing I, I do think is important to, to speak to is, uh, you know, when we started this, I kind of was, we, we were both working some stuff out and I, I wrote out like, what is our goal, um, mm-hmm. in discipleship and, I, I just, I want to make this emphasis because I think it's important is, is like, we want to make disciples of Jesus. And I think Come it's on. so easy to, to make disciples of our church or disciples of us. Um, and you, you see this, it's not, I'm not, it's not wrong that people are discipled by somebody and then they end up kind of being like them. That's actually normal. The rabbinical discipleship was like that. It was mm-hmm. literally your disciples would mimic every aspect of your mm-hmm. life to be like you. Um, to even your mannerisms yeah. and everything. Um, but the goal is to make them a disciple and to get the mannerisms and likeness of Jesus and, and to lead them in that path and not, not our church culture and, and not mm-hmm. us. Yes. And so I, I think it's, it's probably important to, to note. I think it's very dangerous um, to be in the position that you're only receiving from one of those three. Um, mm-hmm. that, that you're mm, only living off of the asynchronous resource. You're only watching YouTube videos. You're only reading books. You're not connected to any believers, or you only have a single person discipling you. And that's the only person that can speak in your life. That's the only person, you know, whatever they say mm-hmm. is Bible to you. Like that's, that's scary. Or that you're, you're part of a, a congregation, but you're not, you're not reading the Bible. You're not, uh, you know, mm-hmm. you're only receiving from that larger group setting, um, yeah. you're not, you don't have anybody, you know, individually kind of that actually knows you like you're part of a congregation, yeah. but nobody knows what you, what your weaknesses are. They don't know what your strengths are. They don't know how to hold you to those things. So what are your thoughts yeah. on that? Well, I, I agree. I, I think that, um, you, what you did is, is what I really like what you did here, Ryan, is you're saying, if those are three things that, that are part of what makes it work, it should be a warning if we're really only 
receiving from one of those, <laughs> you know, yeah. that, that should be a big warning, different seasons and all that. And I also really like how you emphasize, I, you know, you've helped me by, by emphasizing it. It seems obvious, but we're making disciples of Jesus. This is really key. It's, you know, Paul, of course, does say, imitate me as I imitate Christ. You know, we understand that. But, and I know there's some, some controversy around the first Corinthians pastor, past, uh, first Corinthians passage about head coverings. But the way I read that passage is where Paul's saying he's not their head. Christ is their head. You know, he's saying, imitate me. But, but, the, but the message of the rest of that with the analogy of head coverings, et cetera, as I, as I interpret that scripture is Paul saying, I'm not your head. Paul didn't want to be their head. You know, it, he wanted Jesus to be their head. And I think that this is, this is really important for a couple reasons. One, if we don't know the end game of what we're trying to get to, like you, you're saying, like the why of discipleship, you can end up in the wildly the wrong spot, you know? Yeah. But I think that there's also something about like, boy, does that take a lot of pressure off? Like, mm -hmm. you know, when, when I think about discipleship, one of my favorite scriptures is 1 John 2, verses 12 to 14. And it's saying, I write to you children, I write to you fathers, and I write to you young men. And I think we've talked about this before, but it says children because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake, and you know him, right? So the, the children in the Lord, because John's talking about stages of spiritual maturity, if we could call it that way. So he's saying these spiritual children are ones that have come to the place of recognizing their sins have been forgiven for his name's sake and receiving that forgiveness. And they know God. They now know God. They're in fellowship with him, right? And so it's so amazing. And then it says, I write to you fathers because you know him who's from the beginning. And for years, I struggled with that because I'm like, it's kind of a lackluster uh, thing, especially because then you read it. I write to you young men because you're strong. The word of God abides in you and you've overcome the evil one. I'm like, that's that's the heavy hitter stuff right there. That's 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 <laughs> exciting. And I remember about 10 years ago in the Lord, the Lord spoke to me. He said, I'm going to teach you to pull the trigger and to hit the hit the the on button for power tools. And it was very much a season where I was in that young man era and he was giving me the keys to the car, so to speak, and teaching me how to operate in the power of the spirit and, and become strong in the Lord and for the word of God to abide in me in such a way that it made a difference in all the areas of my life. And then, and then for me to overcome the evil one, you know, and, and that's so exciting when as believers we're in that stage and you start to lay hands on the sick and they recover and you cast a demon out of somebody, you know, and they were bound and now they're free. You know, you prophesy to someone something that you could not have known on your own accord, but they needed to hear and it came from God and, you know, all of that sort of thing. And that's such an exciting season as a young man in the Lord, so to speak, as that scripture describes. But then I remember the Lord spoke to me um, and I'll just say it how I heard it. It sounds weird, but uh, this unfiltered. Right. And he said, <laughs> I want he said, I, I, I want to I want to make children with you. Hmm. And it was like, huh. That was the impression. It wasn't the words, but the impression was, I want to make spiritual children with you. And it's like, what does that mean? And around that time, that part of the verse started to open up to me where it says, I, I write you fathers because you know him who's from the beginning. And I was like, oh, you start to step into the fatherhood maturity or motherhood maturity. When you start to know his character, you start to know his counsel you know, there's a roundness, like you don't just know a little bit about God. It's like you start to know him who's from the beginning, right? You start to know him who's from the beginning. It's it. Yes, I still have the power tools. Yes, I, I'm still strong. Yes, the word of God still abides me. Yes, I've overcome the evil one and I still do. But that's not even my focus anymore. It's like 16 year olds are excited when they get to start to drive. 18 year olds are excited when they get their first apartment. But I would be a weird adult if I was like legitimately excited to drive today. Do you know what I'm saying? Like yeah. the, the car is now a tool for me to serve my family and others and to get me from point A to point B. That's there was an excitement out. when I learned the tool, but the tool wasn't the goal. The tool was an equipping function. The goal is that I would know him. And so you mm -hmm. see that in, in Psalms 27, you know, that I may gaze upon his beauty and, to, you know, to, to, to gaze upon his beauty, to inquire in the temple. It's this knowing of him. You know, Paul says, I count all things lost except for the knowing of him. Right. And so, all, all of this to say, um, I feel like I, I lost your question, but, but there's, there's, there's something, there's something about, um, yeah, I lost, what was your question? 
because that was connected. Yeah, it was just making disciples of Jesus specifically. That that's it. And so I feel like I feel like there's there's something it takes a pressure off of us mm-hmm. when we start to to make disciples of Jesus because now what we're doing is just bringing people into a place of knowing him. We're yeah. bringing people into a place of knowing him. It's it's not about them knowing us. They know us and that causes them in part to start to know him. They know us that gives us them something to imitate, but the end goal is that they would know him who's from the beginning. And I think yeah. that seeing that as the spiritual progression, like spiritual maturity is to know him. Even in education, there was a homeschooling lady that was famous that said the end, the end goal of all education is, is to know God and to love him. And so like mm-hmm. this, this idea of like true growth looks like knowing God, you know? And, and so I think that I really like what you, what you're saying about discipleship is about connecting people to Jesus for them, for themselves, for them to know Mm -hmm. him for themselves. Yeah. Well, and I think it's what you're saying is so important because it's, it's easy as a believer to look at yourself and determine whether you can disciple or not. And I think that that's where most of the churches is at, is they constantly look at, I mean, you know, your, you know, yourself and your weaknesses better than anybody else. You know, the, <laughs> we got you know, the thoughts that go through your, clay. Yeah. Like, <laughs> you, you know, the thoughts that go through your head, you know, all the, the shame that you yes. have experienced, you know, all of it. And, uh, yep. and I, like, I've run into that over, over the years, just like when people, when I've tried to encourage discipleship, they're always, you know, people never feel ready. And so you don't actually have, I mean, discipleship is as simple as the woman at the well encounters Jesus and goes back and tells people, you know, and and it's Mm. like, he did this for me. That it's that simple. And then you come on one thing I know. Yeah. I was blind and and now I see. Exactly. And so I, I don't know that when Jesus said, you know, go and make disciples that he was saying, go make your own disciples. I, I think he was saying, go make disciples of me. And I, and I think that that's, I believe that that's what we see the apostles do is, um, I mean, even, even Paul talking about, I'm, you know, being happy that he didn't baptize all of them, you know, it's like, he was making a point, like, you're not my disciples. And, and I I think, I think that that's really important because in the, in the church, we really have gotten in that mindset. And because of that discipleship looks like we'll bring, I'll bring the people who need to know Jesus to the church to be discipled by the spiritual elites of the church and Mm -hmm. instead of, and and it's robbing people of like one, the call, (laughs) the call of Christianity, um, like some of the greatest maturity and growth I've had personally has come through walking through stuff with people and learning that I'm not the, I'm not the one who transforms hearts. I'm not the one who can change their lives and, and having to have the humility to point them to him in those situations and be like, Hey, I'll be here with you and we can pray through it together and worship together, but he's your answer. And, and that yes. humility, like that has transformed me. And I, I think that, you know, in the wisdom of God, he knows that that's part of the process is we will be transformed mm-hmm. as we bring other people to him. And then also, you know, the other thing that happens in discipleship is like you point somebody to Jesus and they see Jesus, the beauty of Jesus in a way that you haven't seen in a while, or maybe that you've never you seen. You get encouraged. Yes. And they're like, Oh my gosh, how'd I forget about that? How'd I forget the, about the joy of my salvation? Now I'm seeing them. I'm seeing the joy and I'm like, I'm remembering it's bringing me back to that place. And so it's this like really mm. beautiful relationship that happens that's stolen when the idea of, of discipleship is you have to be at this level, this high level before you can disciple somebody. This is, I think you're hitting on an absolutely supernatural key. Because when you look, I, um, a verse that's motivated me huge, Ryan, is Hebrews 5, where it's saying, for though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God, and you've come to need milk and not solid food. And it says, for everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. And I'll just stop mm-hmm. there for a second, because this is unskilled in the word of righteousness. So he's saying he's unskilled in a certain teaching causes p- people to be still just babes in Christ. And the teaching that they're unskilled in is the word of righteousness. Wow. In other words, their identity in Christ. So go back to First John 2 that I was sharing from, and it's saying, I write to you children because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake, right? And Peter says, earnestly desire the pure spiritual milk of the word that you may grow thereby. So this, this initial word of this is what Jesus accomplished for you. This is how mm-hmm. he paid for your sins, you know, and we always come back to it. 
But that initial word is what it starts to establish them. That's the pure spiritual milk that they may grow thereby. And it's interesting, by the way, that the Bible talks about discipleship in, the, in this sense, in the form of milk, because we know that milk comes from the mammary glands of a woman, right? So, so my wife, she eats, but then she nurses, right? So the food, the solid food has to be processed by a mature mother in order oh, wow. for milk to be given to the child, right? So then you keep reading this. It says, for everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in a certain word or a certain teaching. I'm inserting the word certain, but it's the word of righteousness for he is a babe. Well, duh. But solid food, see, but solid food belongs to those who are full age. That is those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. And so there's this, this dynamic I feel like is painted here. And early on as being a lead pastor, I was realizing, I'm like, this is crazy. You can't nurse more than two people in real life. Mm. But we have this weird expectation that a pastor is like a tacit expectation that a pastor is going to nurse all of these babies. That is not God's design. God's design is that there'd be lots of believers who by reason of use are able to chew on solid food, digest it, incorporate it, and release particularly the word of righteousness to newborn believers so that they could get strength. And we got a baby right now. She's six months old. She's going to start on some solid food, but you got to ease them into solid food, right? And people need to know who they are in Christ. They need to know God's great love for them. They need to know what Jesus accomplished on the cross. They need to know that their sins are paid for. And then that starts to establish them in righteousness. And now, of course, they can start to add on things like, hey, you can lay hands on the sick and they'll recover. And it won't become that laying hands on the sick is the newest way to prove yourself as, as somebody. It's like, no, that's a way to serve somebody. It's a gift mm-hmm. that God's given us. It's a grace that he's given us that we can operate in so that your mama can be healed of that flu that she has and that, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And so this, this is what goes on. And what's interesting is there's like if what I saw in education is that there's whole school systems that never empower teachers or rarely, I'll use a more accurate word, rarely empower teachers to be producers, not just consumers. And so as a consultant, I come into school environments, of course, and help deliver professional developments and coaching for, for uh, staff of schools, you know, teachers, principals, whomever. But what's, in, what's interesting is I think the best thing that can be going on is that they're getting some of that coaching, some of that external, but actually that there's a good bit of internal professional development that they do for each other. In other words, if you've taught for 20 years, why are you not teaching teachers? Hmm. At least a little bit. Like maybe yeah. maybe running PD sessions, professional development sessions isn't your thing, but surely you're mentoring someone down the hall that's a fourth-year teacher, right? And if not, why not? How can you be at something for 20 years and not have reached a place of maturity to be able to impart something meaningful to others? And this is, I think, what Paul was bemoaning in Hebrews 5. He's saying, for by this time, you ought to also be teachers. But you're still needing the first principles of the oracles of God again. I want you to be on to solid food so that you can be feeding milk to the newborn babes. But what happens is we create ecosystems in education where there's not an expectation for the mature teacher to become a producer and therefore there's not an opportunity for it and you live as a place of a consumer for a long period of time this is happening in the body of christ as well where there's not an expectation for every believer to come into the place of being a producer in the kingdom that mm-hmm. what, what makes you a producer not being great to your point not being perfect no being connected And as I'm connected to Jesus, he promised in John 15, the vine and the branches, you're going to bear fruit. If you're disconnected from me, you won't bear fruit. But how many, how often have we created systems where believers are eating the fruit from other believers' trees, but they aren't producing any fruit that others can come under their branches and receive? And so Mm -hmm. I think that this is, this is such a, such an important paradigm uh, when we talk about discipleship. Yeah. You, you just sparked a few thoughts there. Uh, you know, one, one is the, um, when we think about the fivefold, the uh, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers, 
they are there to equip the saints. So there's actually like a grace, meaning empowerment. There's an empowerment that's on them to empower people and equip people to do the thing that they carry. And mm -hmm. that, um, and that's, that's, that's their office is to impart that. And that can be through teaching, but that's also supernatural. And there's whatever you, uh, you honor a righteous man because he's righteous, receive a righteous man's reward, honor a prophet because he's a prophet, receive prophet's reward. And, you know, people have heard me on here talk about that a million times. I, I'm just wondering if that's part of the role of a true pastor is not, you know, like we've, we've kind of got, we don't need to go down this rabbit trail, but like most of what we call pastors in the American churches are actually elders and that an el eldership, like in the new Testament, you know, pastoring is a function of eldership, uh, but true, you know, maybe that's part of the role of a fivefold pastor is, is to help equip people to disciple and, and, and then this kind of thing that people understand um, how do you, how do I begin to take, you know, even if, even if you're at the low level, how do I take what I do know and yeah. share what God, you know, it's like we overcome by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. Come on, like, come on. That, that is so powerful. Any, anybody who's met Jesus can do that. You, you've met Jesus. Yes. He's transformed your life. You can then go, uh, you come know, on. the blood of the lamb. He's, he's done this. I know what he's done and here's how it transformed my life. You can share that and point somebody to Jesus. That's discipleship. Uh, another thought is, you know, as you were talking about the teachers and like, are you mentoring a teacher down the hall and all that? And it's like, I, that's so key. And that teacher is also part of a school, you know, so they're mm -hmm. around other teachers. So they're part of a larger community, but then I also need that. And so I, I think that there's something to, and then there's a principal, you know, that's like making sure all mm -hmm. the teachers are doing well, you know, yeah. so th there's, there's safeguards in this. It's not, you're, you're not given somebody and it's they're they're your sole responsibility. It's Ooh, not like you, you bring that person to maturity. It's not that they're actually, they're safeguards. You as a believer, you're within, a, if you're connected to a church, like you're supposed to be, you're part of a body where there's other protections. You're not, you're not there to do, to run their life, to, to, you know, correct them on every single thing or anything like that. You're there to point them to Jesus and, and, uh, you know, have a relationship with them that, you know, there's times that that would be hard conversations, whatever, but there's other people responsible for them. There's, there's other, there's a body of believers, there's leadership, there's all these things. And so I think like one of the things that scares people away from discipling is that, oh my gosh, I'm so, I'm responsible for this person. And then, then, then if they do something wrong, you take it personal and like, did I fail and all that, you know? And it's like, well, you're not necessarily, you know, Paul said, you don't have many fathers. Uh, you know, it's like, you're not necessarily, it's not, not all of a sudden you're the mom, the mom or dad for this person mm -hmm. now raise them, you know? And I, I think we, a lot of times yeah. we have that mentality. Um, I have one other thought, but I want to hear what your, your thoughts are on that. Well, I think that you're, you're highlighting again, something so important, like just behind the hood here. I, I, I am empowering and pastoring disciple makers in our church family. So in other words, I'm asking them how it's going with someone that they, that they're serving meeting with. And sometimes I'm giving them feedback on that you know, to your point, like it's a principle encouraging teachers about like, I'm not micromanaging it. They, they can run with it. But sometimes mm -hmm. I say, Hey, I just randomly had a thought. Is that, is there something like this going on in their life? Because I think that might be a hang up. I feel like the Lord showed me something in prayer today. Is mm -hmm. there, okay. I was just praying, you know, two days ago, yeah. Lord help there be a breakthrough in this area. I didn't know what was causing that. Right. And so like you're saying, I think it's so key to have confidence that comes from being under authority. Mm. And, you know, I'm a man under authority. I say to one go, you know, and, and part of the, the scriptural authority here is the, is the mutual submission of a body of believers that that's together, you know? And so I think that there's, there's really something um, on what you're saying, this is not Lone Ranger sort of discipleship. This is part of being a, in a fellowship. It's also part of having spiritual authority around. There's a there's a heavy movement going on right now, I think, towards this idea of like everyone being a fivefold minister or these sorts of things. And it's like, I, I just want to say the, the fivefold ministry stuff is a calling from God. It's a gift from God. The Ephesians 4 says it's a calling from God. Paul said, um, you know, from from God, not man, right? This is not something that you choose. Um, and it's surely not a personality type. I mean, I, I can't even uh, begin to, to say how wrong that is. Like we've, we've got like treating 
you know, INFTP sort of stuff like the fivefold ministry is some sort of personality type that you can take a test and find out if you're a prophet. Like th- this is this is really wrong. And I, and I say that because if we're discipling in the body of Christ, we're meant to be in fellowship with a church family. And there's also meant to be spiritual authority that's helping to cover that. In other words, there are there is a pastor who is a fivefold pastor and has a grace to know how to move people's hearts from point A to point B through difficult circumstances mm-hmm. and has wisdom of experience of having done that, such that if you get into a difficult, you know, man, I had a really weird conversation with this person today. I'm kind of concerned about them. I would hope that that, that believer that was helping disciple that person would know immediately who to call on mm-hmm. the car ride home to say, I just need to have a few minutes of your time you know, I want to make sure I'm serving them well, you know, and then maybe even for that person to be able to come in an extra person, you know, the, the fivefold pastor, be able to come and meet with them to help in the same way that, that Moses Jethro told Moses set up 70 people or whatever it was, 70 men to hear these cases. Not all of them need to come to you, but there was still a Moses, mm-hmm. you know? And I think that, that there being a covering to the discipleship process is really key. Yeah. That's so good. Um, we have about 12 minutes left in this one and then we'll, you know, we'll have another one. Uh, we'll get here out here in the next couple weeks. Um, the other thought I had, I haven't shared this with you, I don't think. Um, but you said something when you're talking about the, the word of righteousness, mm. um, being immature in the word of righteousness. I was reminded, I was talking to Michael Lighty, who is the worship, uh, worship pastor at the pursuit out here in Seattle in the PNW. And, um, he was, he was sharing about, I don't even know how we got into this topic, but he was sharing about a Jewish friend that he had, that he befriended this Jewish guy. They lived right next to a synagogue or something. He ends up getting invited to, uh, a bar mitzvah, bar mitzvah. I don't know which one it was, but he, he got invited to one of those occasions and, um, he didn't know much about their culture or anything like that, but he's, he's there and they're like going through the things. I think they said this statement that was something like, <clears throat> Um, this, this tradition was passed down by my father who got it from his father, who got it from his father, who Mm. got it from his father, who got it from Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and something, something along those lines. And he was just like, this is incredible. They have, they've been able to over thousands of years, hold on to a national identity in a way that I've never seen before. And so at the end, his friend came to him and said, Hey, like, what'd you think? And he's like, he said exactly that. He's like, the way that you guys have held on, he's like, I'm a Christian. So like, there's a lot that you're talking about that I know, but the way that you guys have held on to this national identity is profound. Like, I've never seen anything like this. And he said, well, do you want to know how we do it? And he said, mm-hmm. yeah. And he, and he said, every, every week during our Sabbath, we take time to remember who we are. And I thought that that was so profound. Like you think about the wow. dinner and all those things, like the things that they do, there's something to, when you said the, you know, being immature in the word of righteousness and talking about being mm-hmm. your identity and, and all that, it reminded me of that conversation because there really is something to, um, in the, in the Christian church, and I'll use that very broadly. I don't, you know, and, and maybe the Orthodox church is Eastern Orthodox or something has been better at this than most of Protestant Christianity. Maybe even the Catholic church has been better at, but I, I, in many ways, I don't think we remember who we are very well. And like you think about, um, we just had a little leadership retreat. And one of the things that we were kind of talking through some of this. And one of the things we talked about is I think a lot of times we just live out of new Testament Christianity. And we forget that we're part of the Abrahamic covenant that Mm -hmm. was pre, Mm -hmm. you know, it was pre, um, yeah mosaic law and so we're like oh yeah we're past law you know jesus grace all this but it's like we're actually part of this like not not greater than jesus but we're part of this great covenant that jesus Mm -hmm. like he was breaking us free from and fulfilling the law so that we could get back to and live out of this amazing promise Mm -hmm. that abraham has and we've got this lineage as the children of abraham that's it's it's i mean we could explore that forever um, yes. but remembering like, this is our history and Jews like do such, they have such a great, uh, they do such a great job of actually remembering consistently. Mm. This is who we are as a people. This is where we came from. These are the mm-hmm. things like, 
um, you know, for Passover, when they like every element, if, if, if you're listening to this, like I would suggest go study that sometime, go study what each element, actually one of the guys yes. from the Bible project did a very good teaching on that, where he was like leading communion, but he led them through that dinner and talked about mm. Passover. Uh, and it's per, every element is to remind them of the things that they, their people experienced and, and what God's done. And I just kind of wonder, like, in the Christian side of things, you know, we know who the Messiah is. We have relationship with Jesus and all this. And I feel like we so often just forget. And we haven't done a good job of, like, maintaining that national, quote, unquote, national sense of identity as believers of, mm -hmm. of what it means. Because I think in that case, people, even young believers, new believers are brought into that and they're swept into that bigger story. Mm -hmm. and, and our story just kind of is like you're broken here's jesus you know instead mm -hmm. of like bringing them into the holistic story so i, I don't have great language for it but well I feel like I, what i hear you there. saying yeah there's something really powerful i wrote that down every week during our sabbath we take time to remember who we are and i think that what i hear you saying and i think in some ways as we get closer to wrapping here it sounds like the part of discipleship is not just not just bringing people to Jesus, but also bringing them into a family. And, you know, um, there, there's, there's something about bringing people into a family. They got saved into a family, you know, and uh, who you are as a people, right? And we've all got this unifying characteristic, which is uh, we'd all fallen short of the glory of God and that by, by his grace, you know, and, and so the, the blood of Jesus did this. And, um, you know, when we were talking before, because I think that if, you know, if I was to end this by maybe speaking to someone's heart a little bit and ministering to them, because I think that I, I have a hunch that with what you've shared, what I've shared, what we've talked about, it's going to stir some people's hearts about discipleship. But I think you said something before that's really key. And that's that a major stumbling block or a, a limiter or um, that a lot of people have as it relates to discipleship is feeling not qualified. And I think that that's a really big thing. And there's actually a section of scripture that speaks very specifically to that. And just like God and so many things in the kingdom, it's like an upside down solution. Like you're, you, you think like, okay, like how do you get qualified for being a discipler? And it says in second Corinthians three, it says verse one, it says, do we begin again to commend ourselves? And so, you, you know, the context here is about what's my letter of recommendation to say that I'm a worthy minister, right? And then you skip down to verse four, and he says, and we have such trust through Christ towards God, Paul says, not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think of anything as being from ourselves, but our sufficiency is from God, who also made us sufficient as ministers of the new covenant not of the letter, but of the spirit for the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. And so Paul's dealing with this thing of like being commended or being sufficient or being recommended as a minister. And he's saying, I'm not saying any of this comes from me. And here's his secret. He's saying that he's sufficient as a minister of the new covenant, not of the letter, but of the spirit for the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. The gospel message, the new covenant, is the only message that, that pre-qualifies its messenger. Mm. Like, if you think about everything that anybody is a messenger for, that is like, that they're an advocate for, so many of them, the message they're carrying fundamentally makes them a hypocrite and disqualifies them. I mean, how often do you see, for instance, in like conservative media, that they will blast a uh, liberal, uh, liberal leaning um, celebrity for flying in a personal jet, right? So you've got a, a liberal leaning celebrity that is an advocate against global warming and they get blasted by conservative media for flying in a private jet, which equals who knows three people's gasoline for the entire year, you know, for mm -hmm. their car or something like that. And the message that they're carrying about global warming actually causes them to be condemned because they can never measure up to it the law mm. if you carry the law the law that you carry the very message that you're carrying is like you know it's the whole thing if you point at someone 
there's like a thumb pointing back at, or three fingers pointing back at you thing, you know, like, yeah. like the law does that. But the message of Jesus Christ, the message of the gospel, the law of the spirit of life that set us free from the law of sin and death, that message is a pre-qualifying message. Like now I'm carrying a message that I'm ministering to others that is saying, the very message is saying that I'm qualified to carry this, not because of my performance, but because the message I'm carrying qualifies Mm -hmm. me because it's by the grace of Jesus. So I would just encourage anybody that feels tentative about stepping out further into the place of discipling. And like Ryan, you were saying about giving, giving what God's given you, even if it's just saying, I don't know, I was blind, but now I see, you know, like this is the testimony of God. I can give it to somebody. And I think that I would just encourage that we're making disciples of Jesus. And in making disciples of Jesus, the very message that we're carrying is saying, it's not about us. It's not about my righteousness. That's that's what I laid down to come into the place of being a minister. Paul said, I counted, I had reason to boast in my pedigree, but I realized that that's like a dunghill. So I count all of that loss for the sake of knowing him. And now this message I carry that it's by the blood of Jesus, by grace, that message is actually making me qualified because the message I'm carrying isn't saying I'm somebody. The message I'm carrying is saying he is someone and I just have that message. Yeah. So good. And you don't have to, you don't have to have it all together and you also don't have to act like you have it all together. <laughs> Come on. That's that there's often that oftentimes that pressure of like, I have to see like, seem like I'm the most spiritual person to those that I'm, you know, discipling, leading, speaking to their whatever. And it's just, I, I believe I've said it on here. I believe vulnerability is one of the greatest keys to who God's going to use or not use in, in the coming years is he's looking for people who are authentic and real. And the people are hungry for that. Gen Z is hungry for that. They're, they're hungry for people who are authentic and real. And it's okay to say, I don't know. It's okay to say, Come on. you know, I'm, I'm, I'm dealing with this right now, or I've been praying and this hasn't been answered yet, you know, but Jesus, you know, I'm, I, I still on. love him, but I'm still going to pursue him, you know, and uh, there's something to that vulnerability. Well, we're going to land this one here for now. Uh, I've, I've already started writing other questions and stuff. Um, I'm excited. I love, how, I, I love how you ask questions, man. It's good. <laughs> I've, I've had to learn I've, I've been bad about you know over the years just talking and talking and talking and I just started realizing like man there's so much in people that will stir things in me if I just will <laughs> ask, yes. ask some questions um but yeah so I'm excited we'll, we'll do a few more of these probably I don't I don't know how many we'll end up doing but I, what 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 part of it did we touch today three percent four percent you know <laughs> but but it's so good i mean i i feel like god really drew some things out that that i think he wanted to to get into this one so yeah i do too awesome well thank you so much for being on look forward to doing more of oh, these. thanks for having me yeah and uh until next time this has been the fire podcast thanks for listening to this episode of the fire podcast with ryan rhodes fire movement has a mission to bring people face-to-face with the real Jesus. If you love this show and ministry, please consider subscribing, leaving a five-star rating, and most importantly, sharing the podcast with others on social media. Also, would you please consider one-time or monthly support to help us sustain and grow this show so that others can be stirred to hunger for more of the real Jesus? You can do so by going to firemovement.com support Thank you.